So I have a question for you. Have you ever felt misunderstood? (laughs) Were you once performing really well in your career, then the environment changed, the boss changed, and then you couldn't do anything right? So a quick story, you know, myself, always very talkative, always wanted to speak my mind. And that was celebrated sometimes. And then there were times where leadership said, Deb, keep quiet. Very frustrating. (laughs) Another story. I had an employee that worked for me who was very, very technically savvy and very activity based. But when I moved them into a different role where they were able to use their history their love for history, their ability to teach and train people. Talk about that person blossoming into the leader they were supposed to be. And so I am grateful for this conversation with Brandy McCauley, who through her work, works with individuals and organizations to identify the unique characteristics of the individual and putting them in the proper role for success. You're not going to want to miss this amazing interview with Brandy. Let's listen. What we call the platinum rule is treating people the way that they want to be treated. So now that you know how each of your employees are hardwired, then you can better communicate with these people. Maybe you have somebody that's a direct communicator and they're honest and open and clear in that communication. And they prefer that same type of open, honest, and clear communication. But then maybe you have someone that is more diplomatic. that kind of would like you to beat around the bush a little bit more as opposed to just saying something to them, you know, directly. It could be a little taken aback. You're learning how to motivate people better. Like high A's, they're motivated by financial reward. Now... People will say, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be motivated by money. Well, some people are motivated by money, you know, (laughs) and if you're in a sales organization and you want people to hit their sales goal, then why not dangle, you know, a financial incentive in front of them so that they can push a little bit harder in order to reach the goals that you guys have set forth for them. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you for joining me again on another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast. This podcast is for CEOs to bring you insights and inspiration from amazing leaders to help you with your business. And if you do like this program, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. But I'd also like to make you this offer the CEO's compass, my approach to getting you back on track. I love working with business leaders going through transformation. And if I can be of service to you, please reach out to me at dropinceo.com and let's start a conversation. And now I'm honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest today, Brandy McCarley. Brandy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you for having me. I am excited to bring this conversation to our people. The thing that struck me so much about what you do is you talk about in the work that you do, the culture index survey. 
Very, very intriguing. And I can't wait for you to share more with our listeners because when we talk about looking at your organization, the talent that we have and making sure we're maximizing what we're getting out of that talent, I think it's a problem sometimes that CEOs face and this can be some great value for them. So I would just love to open up the conversation, Brandy, and please share with our listeners more about who you are personally, your career journey and how you've arrived at the work that you're doing now. Well, who I am personally, you know, it's kind of an interesting question because I'm such a multidimensional human being. I am a yogi. I am a daughter. I'm a aunt. I'm a niece. I'm a cousin. Family is very, very important to me. I'm a, I'm a family cook. I love to cook for my family. I love to practice yoga and meditate. I'm a fitness buff, so to speak. I've bodybuilded for quite some time and competed in bodybuilding competitions and I'm an avid reader. Those are most of the personal things about me. I guess as far as my career is concerned, I am a 16-year sales veteran and I have sold across various different industries. Amazing. And and let's just go to the personal because so often in business, we just want to talk about what do you do and who do you serve. But I think so much is about you, Brandy, as a person before we really get into the technical. And, and when we had our discovery call, we really, really talked about how did you arrive at doing the work that you do to help people and organizations and your personal journey and your career about finding your voice being able to speak up and maybe sometimes not be able to speak up and truly be who you are. Can you just share a little bit more about some of the challenges, but opportunities that you turned them into? Just growing up, I, I always had a deep knowledge of self because my parents, they raised me to be very proud as an African-American. You know, I always had knowledge of my history and I was always introduced to other successful African-Americans. And we had a lot of pride, like even our Christmas tree, we had black Christmas tree ornaments on our Christmas tree. And so I always wanted to be an advocate for my community. And so when I was younger, I actually wanted to be an attorney. One of the reasons why I wanted to be an attorney was because I felt like there were so many different challenges within our community that I could help change. After college, I worked for about two years at the Cochran firm. And after working in an attorney's office, I decided I didn't want to be an attorney anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went into sales as a result of one of my friends, like introducing me to the idea of being a salesperson. But one of the stories that I remember from working at the Cochran firm, I guess that was kind of like one of my first experiences, I'll say, realizing diversity was a huge issue in different office spaces is I can remember a story where I was the intake specialist for the Cochrane firm. And so what I would do is whenever we would have new cases come into the office, then I would put the cases together and then I would give them to the respective attorneys. There was this one particular paralegal who was very, very disorganized. And whenever I would give her her cases, she would always say, that I didn't give her cases to her. And so (laughs) it was funny because this went on for about a year, back and forth. And the office administrator would actually have me running around the office looking for her cases, but we always found them in her area, right? (laughs) So so after about a year, you know, I was kind of tired of it because it's like, you know, this is a, a cycle that we're going through. You know, she says I haven't given her the cases. She always finds the cases in her area, but I'm always blamed for not 
giving the cases to her. So finally, one day she blamed me again for not giving her another case. This is even after we came up with a system for them to sign off on their cases just so that we could determine that, hey, Brandy did actually give this to her. And so one day she was having a fit and saying, hey, Brandy never gave me this case and blah, blah, blah. And so at this time, we had just started using email because before that, we were never using email. So I just emailed her back and I was like, hey, well, I'm sure if you take a look around your office, you'll find it just like you did the 10 previous cases. (laughs) I kind of got in trouble for that. Now, mind you, all this time, you know, she had been blaming me for not giving her her work. We had discovered that I had been giving her the work the whole time. She just didn't have the organizational skills. But when it came up to my review, one of the things that was written on my review was that I get short with people in the office and that I'm more concerned about my clothing than I am about my work. And that was kind of disheartening because there was nothing wrong with my work. All this time, you've never seen anything. You've never had to reprimand me. You never had to correct me on anything. The quality of my work was obviously present. But this other person that is not doing their work, they're blaming it on me. And you're seeing this cycle that we're going through, but yet it's still my fault. So that was kind of like one of my first experiences where I felt like I was somewhat being to a degree discriminated against just because of who I was and how I dressed when I came to work. You know, I'd love to go there a little bit and just sometimes I play it safe. I don't often have the courage to talk about topics that are about who we are as humans. We all have diverse backgrounds and different things that we don't share with the world. If nothing else, we play it small because we're afraid to be different or afraid to speak up. And I think the lesson here for our listeners is think twice, because if you don't speak up, who will? And I think people like yourself, Brandy, are courageous when we do our work. And sometimes people just can't fault the work that we do, but they find something else because they don't have the courage to address the system, the process, the talent have the courageous conversations. And I know I could go on about where, for whatever reason, I don't think they addressed me the right way. I was once told to kind of keep quiet and not speak up in a particular situation, but they never gave me the coaching on how to, what was the right behavior. And so again, it goes to courage and leadership. And and over time, we just lose trust in the people that we expect to support us. But thank you for that story. You've since come forward and obviously you're a very, very strong person. Let's bring that forward to the work that you're doing now because you are passionate about working with leaders, leveraging the culture index, which is part of what you do. Tell us more about the work that you do now that helps leaders and the individuals in their organization. Well, the work that I do now, I work with Culture Index. I'm a Culture Index licensee. I provide data to CEOs to help them clarify their team culture dynamics and make sure they're putting the right person in the right role. The way that I do that is with the Culture Index Assessment. The Culture Index Assessment is a psychometric data analytics model where we measure people based on seven work-related traits. These traits are very, you know, critical to the organization. We don't measure anything. We don't measure intelligence. We don't measure anything clinical, but we strictly measure work-related traits in order to predict how an individual will behave once they become a part of the organization. 
Can you give us a couple, three of what those traits are? I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, one of the most important traits that I think that we measure is autonomy, and that is your inner directed self-ego. Now, I've had this conversation on LinkedIn where some people disagree with me, but when we're measuring autonomy, one of the things that we're actually able to see is, is this person a what we would call natural born leader? Do they have the innate ability to step up and lead people when given the opportunity or actually, you know, making the opportunity for themselves? When we look at the culture index, it is placed on a bell curve. And so you have a dividing line where you have traits. Some lie on the left side of the bell curve, some lie on the right side. So if you're on the left side, we call it a low trait. If you're on the right side, we call it a high trait. Now, high and low, it doesn't mean anything negative or positive because each trait has their strengths and their weaknesses. But one thing about the high A's, which is something that I discovered that I was, is that high A's are natural born leaders. They're macro thinkers. So they are very futuristic thinkers, like a Elon Musk who, you know, is thinking 20 years ahead into the future or someone like me who may be three to five years ahead of the curve. High A's are very strategic. They want to develop strategic plans. They are, you know, real go-getters. They're very competitive. Enough is never enough. They're always seeking that next big challenge. One of the things that high A's have to watch out for or one of the criticisms that they may receive in an organization, especially if they're misaligned, is that they speak too directly. High A's are direct communicators. And a lot of times high A's are also people that have low C's. And low C's are people that have a really, really high sense of urgency. So it's not so much that we are trying to be short with people or trying to be too direct. We just have put so many things on our plate and we have such a high sense of urgency. We're trying to get finished with these projects that we're working on. And so we don't have time for a whole lot of chit chat. So, <laughs> you know, because we're focused, we're trying to get finished with our work. So sometimes it can appear to be a little aloof or too direct or, you know, maybe even sometimes rude to some people. But nine times out of 10, if you're getting that type of feedback, then you're dealing with someone who is a low A. And low A's, they are team players, but they don't really have that leadership ability and they need a lot of clear direction. High A's are visionaries and they may not always give that clear direction because they have this vision in their head and they can see it so clearly and they think that everybody can see the vision. But if you're dealing with someone that's a low A, they can't see the vision and they need those real clear directions. So before we go into the other six or seven areas, because I can see very clearly you and I are both A's, high A's, <laughs> get to the point. On the other hand, we're both innately curious about people. So we're also patient to listen and understand that may be another thing. But the, with the work that you do, or the insight that you provide organizations, what then do we do with this data? Do we try to fix or change the people that might be a high A and needs to modify? Or are these used to move people around into the right roles in the organization? Because not everybody can be an A. You need worker Bs, you need other qualities as well. How have people leveraged this information? Well, I think um, one thing I know when I initially talked to our founder, Gary, um, it was very 
eye-opening and it almost was like he took a huge weight off of my shoulders because the entire time throughout my work career, I was always being reprimanded for being too direct, for being intimidating. And I never understood or even had any type of inclination about what people were talking about. I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't get it. And so, (laughs) because I never, because I'm a very altruistic person, I never did anything out of malice. Like I would never, like some of the rude things that people would walk up to me and say, I would never say that to anyone. But when I moved with intention, it was always heart-centered. There was never any malice, but I was very clear and truthful in my communication. And so throughout my career, I had pretty much been taught that this was wrong, that this was the wrong way to communicate. So one of the things that I really learned by learning my profile and speaking with Gary is that there's no right or wrong way to communicate. There's no right or wrong. There's just differences. People are different. (laughs) You make such a good point because we talk about good and bad, right and wrong, and then we start profiling and then forcing more of a divide amongst humans. But to only understand we are different, but we're all based on humanity, trying to get things done, get through life, help achieve business objectives. It's We have that core, common core, but we're just different on how we get there. And it's beautiful stuff. And you know, I think you and I have been misfits all our life. That's why we're striking out and doing our own thing because we're just misunderstood. We just have to find the people that we align with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was one of the major things that really drew me to this organization. Like for the first time in life, I felt like somebody understood me and they weren't telling me that I was wrong and that I was bad and that I was all of these negative adjectives that have been used to describe me. You know, you're intimidating. Well, when you tell me that I'm intimidating, you make it sound like I'm backing people into the corner and choking them out or something. You know, I haven't done anything like that. I haven't personally, physically attacked anyone. So it's like, what? what's so intimidating? Well, it's not that I'm intimidating. It's that you're intimidating. You know, that's kind of almost like a personal issue, but people project. They project their personal issues, their personal insecurities onto other people. And so that kind of helped me regain my confidence after speaking with Gary, because I came to understand that, hey, there's nothing wrong with the way that I communicate. It's okay. People are just different. Some people have a more diplomatic communication style, and that's fine too. But I think in corporate America and in different organizations, we're so used to this authoritarian leadership style that tries to make everyone little clones of each other. And that just doesn't, it simply doesn't work because that's just not how people are. You know, you talk about something really important is is the word confidence. Once, first of all, individuals can recognize I'm different because I'm just wired different. That gives them the confidence that they need to be able to move forward. This is also so relevant to CEOs and leaders. If they have the awareness to realize I may not have a broken organization and people less or more confident, but knowing that if I can leverage just some insight and some data, for example, from the culture index, I might gain back my confidence as a leader, putting people in the right roles or giving them the support or feedback they need to be their fullest potential. 
So I would love to know if I could just steer this a little bit as you've been working with your colleagues in the organizations, what changes have you seen that you've seen either an individual or a leader go through once they receive this insight from this assessment tool? Are there any particular stories where you've seen a change that has some type of impact? Well, I think the major thing where there's a change is that it helps build better relationships because now you're using the platinum rule. And so what we call the platinum rule is treating people the way that they want to be treated. So now that you know how each of your employees are hardwired, then you can better communicate with these people. Maybe you have somebody that's a direct communicator and they're honest and open and clear in that communication. And they prefer that same type of open, honest, and clear communication. But then maybe you have someone that is more diplomatic. that kind of would like you to beat around the bush a little bit more as opposed to just saying something to them, you know, directly. It could be a little taken aback. You're learning how to motivate people better. Like high A's, they're motivated by financial reward. Now... People will say, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be motivated by money. Well, some people are motivated by money, you know, (laughs) and if you're in a sales organization and you want people to hit their sales goal, then why not dangle, you know, a financial incentive in front of them so that they can push a little bit harder in order to reach the goals that you guys have set forth for them. Or if you're dealing with someone who's a low D. Low Ds, they are motivated by gaining additional knowledge. So maybe you have an IT company and in this IT company, you have somebody that has a low D. Well, one thing that you may use to motivate this person is you may tell them, hey, if we hit this goal, what we'll do is we'll pay for you to get another certification in the IT field. So then you learn how to use this information to better manage, motivate and communicate with your employees and it helps you build a better relationship and it helps them because they're happier and they are in roles where they can more enjoy their work. You know, you got me thinking here because this is so interesting. You're talking about celebrate the people's differences and lean into it versus trying to fix the people and change who they are because you know what? They're never going to be comfortable. They can change a little bit, but they're just not going to have the impact. So this is more about tools for the leader, not to change the people, but how can we incentivize? How can we give them more confidence? How can we get the most out of who they are? And I love that. But you also, I think in some of your work is that we can also think about moving people into the right roles. How does this tool maybe help a leader think about, okay, here's the talent that I have. Here are the roles that I need to be filled. How can I maybe move them around to get the best impact. How does that work? Absolutely. So say, for instance, if if I was in an organization, I would be the person that you would want to put into a leadership role over a team because I really have the ability to step in, take charge, make decisions and motivate people. And those are the type of people that you need in leadership and management roles. But I think What we have saw traditionally in corporate America is people putting people in management positions based on the relationships that they've built. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But does this person that you put in this management role, are they really the type of person that wants to see other people thrive? I can remember having a manager when I started working at this one particular company. 
I remember being in an interview and the two managers, they were kind of bantering back and forth about whose team that I was going to be on because they were so excited to bring me on. But once I got into the organization, now he wasn't my manager. I inadvertently got put on the other team, but he would continue to walk up and have conversation with me about how having an advanced degree was not going to get me promoted in the organization. And I was kind of taken aback by that because I'm like, what do you mean? Like, why do you, <laughs> why are you using this to demotivate me? Because it felt very demotivating. You know, I gone to college for four years and got my bachelor's degree. I went back to college and got an advanced degree, an MBA, something that I thought that would help me advance through corporate America. And here I am. And you're saying that, hey, this is not going to help you. And I'm asking you, what is going to help me advance through corporate America? But you don't have an answer for me. You're not telling me what it is that I need to work on or what I need to do in order to advance my career. And that's another thing. We don't talk about human nature, human behavior, and those different things that make us human. Human beings are a part of the organization. People come into the organization with jealous tendencies. People come into the organization with envious tendencies. And these are people that we put in management roles because they play corporate office politics and they've gotten promoted. But they aren't really people that are interested in seeing other people get promoted or seeing other people thrive. And so that's one of the ways that we kind of help combat that is that you look at the individual based on the data. Is this person someone who can lead? And is this person someone who actually cares about other people to the point where they would want to see someone else thrive? You know, what I love about this is that the data almost levels the playing field. It almost filters out some of that bias that, you know, hey, they're really good about their talking points. They show up. They seem popular. They seem like that big person. They look like they're getting stuff done. But sometimes the worker bees, the people that are maybe less out there may realize, no, they're not getting it done. I'm having to help them out, etc. But I love data. I mean, I often coach people that says sometimes they feel like they're not high enough in the organization to be able to speak up. I said, your power can come from, first of all, your mindset. If you have something to say, have the courage to say it. But data, data is sometimes something that you can't refute. It transcends individual personalities and speaks to itself and you can leverage that. And I just want to pick up, I just want to share a point because I see this happen so often. One of my last consulting assignments, I was coaching two people, a manager and a technician, a subject matter expert. And as I was set to try to develop both of them, both great humans, it was the person in the lower role that I said actually should have been the manager because of their A, autonomy, their leadership qualities, their drive, their curiosity, their tenacity. And while the other individual was a good person doing good good work. I questioned if they really had everything they needed to be the A. I worked with both, but I can't wait to see that person soar because I know they're going to eventually fill that role. I love the work that you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This is such powerful stuff. So as we start thinking about your work, I think people should reach out to you and also to learn more about the organization you work with and the culture index. But what are some things that leaders or managers can do now, even if they don't engage with you, what are our few tips that they can do now to start seeing people for the different characteristics and traits they have, and maybe consider making a change? 
Well, I think one of the most important things is for them to examine their own bias. A lot of times when we talk about diversity and inclusion and different things, you know, we're strictly looking at, you know, racism. But bias, it doesn't always have to refer to racism. We're always talking about, you know, black and white. But sometimes we as individuals, I've done a lot of study about the subconscious mind. And what I know about the subconscious mind is that it's always being programmed. It's being programmed by the television. It's being programmed by the interactions that we have with people. And so everyone, whether they are black or white or transgender or whether they are gay or whether they're a woman or a man, everyone has bias that has been created by virtue of just being Americans, of hearing other people talk, of being ascribed to this one group not really knowing anything about this other group, but also not taking out the time to get to know just people on a human level as opposed to just placing labels and grouping people together. So I think the first thing that people should do is examine their own personal bias. I think the second thing that people should do is just build relationships. I think one of the things that was very disheartening for me working in corporate America, because I consider myself, even though no one believes me, I consider myself to be shy. I consider myself to be very introverted. But when I tell people that, they're like, Brandy, no, you're not shy. You're not introverted. But actually, I really am. And so one of the things, like looking back on my career, I did not understand that I was supposed to create relationships with upper management, you know, because a lot of times I looked at these people like, first of all, how do I even get to them? And second of all, I have absolutely nothing in common with this person. But after being passed up for a promotion two times um, and I saw how people actually get promoted in corporate America, you know, I was like, okay, now looking back, if I had to do all over again, I would build relationships with upper level management instead of being quiet. But I think I had allowed people to convince me that being candid, that being outspoken, that speaking up and sticking up for myself was something that was unwanted, it was unwarranted, and that's something that you shouldn't do. People will make comments to you and then, you know, if you say something, then people say, oh, well, you're getting defensive. And it's like, well, no, I'm sticking up for myself. <laughs> I'm not getting defensive. I'm, I'm sticking up for myself. And one of the ways that I think about that is like, if someone were to break into your house and try to steal your stuff and try to attack your family, if, if an intruder broke into your house with a gun, are you not going to defend your family? If someone were to walk up to you in a grocery store and just personally attack you, would you not defend yourself? But when someone walks up to you and says something that's offensive or something that's rude, if you respond in a defensive way, then you're looked at as you're exhibiting a negative behavior. When in all actuality, you're, you are defending yourself. You're sticking up for yourself. And why shouldn't you? Because I don't know whoever told us that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever made that up, they completely lied to us. <laughs> because words are just as hurtful as sticks and stones. And so we have to have the ability to stick up for ourselves. And I think a lot of times when I did stick up for myself in the organization, that was viewed as being defensive or it was viewed as being negative or it was viewed as me having an attitude problem or whatever. But actually, I was just setting boundaries. And that's something that, that we need to do. And so with that, 
I never created relationships with the managers or with other people because I just continued to just shrink and just diminish myself because I didn't think that my voice would be understood. I didn't think that my voice would be heard. I didn't think that it would have value. But now looking back, um, I most definitely would stand up a little more and I would create relationships with upper level management to help me get promoted. But on the flip side of that, I think the leadership should develop relationships with the team members as well. It's, it shouldn't be on the team member individually to create a relationship with their management. You're the leader. I know. <laughs> you know, you're, you're the leader. You're the one that's in a leadership position. So you should also exert yourself to create relationships with people that are your quote unquote subordinate. And so those are two very important ways that I think that uh, leaders can build better high-performing teams in an organization. And then building that psychological safety for people, having a real open-door policy. If you say you have an open-door policy, and then when someone comes to talk to you, you label them as being a complainer or you label them as having an attitude, then do you really have an open-door policy? It's just something that you're saying that you're not actually really living that through the organization. You're just saying something. You're not actually really living that. Those are the three things that I would say that leaders should do. So much insight in that. And I can't wait to continue this conversation after we are no longer serving our community. But if I could just reframe this, I really love, again, this not only speaks to the leader of an organization who is not yet engaged with you or the company that provides these services, is check your own bias. Check it. Just make sure you understand where it's coming from as you see the world. Building relationships, as you said, from the top down, you invest so much in your people. When you bring them on board, you pay a lot of money. Why not continue to invest in who they are? Otherwise, they become a detriment or an expense or a liability. You talk about the open door because it's about that communication and feedback. Again, continuing to invest in the relationship. And finally, speaking up and having courage. And I think that's one of your greatest attributes. And I think leaders need that. They also need to be able to embrace people that do speak up. Amazing conversation, Brandy. I am so grateful to have this and bring this forward to both your audience and mine. Is there any last thoughts or how can people get in contact with you? Because I know they're going to want to learn more about the work that you provide for organizations. Absolutely. I am happy to talk to anyone and do a free assessment and a free demo of their team. You can message me on LinkedIn. You can visit my website at brandymccarley.com and schedule a discovery call. Or you can email me at info at brandymccarley.com as well. All right. You've been an amazing guest. I sincerely thank you for your time and wish you continued success in the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Deb. It's been such an honor talking to you. And I, I thank you. I'm so grateful for you allowing me onto your show. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Drop-In CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.